You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Lisa Leferva. Lisa, thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to share ideas with you. Lisa, I, I, I want to talk about your, your work. I want to talk about the Robert Smithson show at Marianne Goodman. But first, what is your uh, position there among the, among the, in the foundation? So I'm the executive director of Holt Smithson Foundation. And I have to admit, I really think I've got the best job that any curator can possibly have. We're a super young organization, and I'm the very first director. So there's something wonderful and terrifying about that, because it's about mm. institution building. Um, so what we've been doing since um, early 2018 is really thinking about what should a foundation that's named after two artists Nancy Holt and Robert Smithson, who, in my very biased opinion, recalibrated the way that we understand art. What should that foundation do? And so we're thinking it through. We make exhibitions. We work with partners to publish books. We work with other artists as well. So it's really a sense of thinking through a laboratory ideas um, over the lifetime of our foundation, which is just going to live for 20 years. So 20 years, what does that mean? The foundation exists for 20 years and then it closes? Well, that's our plan. So, you know, artists in our foundations, I think they're a really fascinating part of our contemporary art world ecology. Um, their job is always to get people talking and thinking about the artists that they're named after. And when we first were inventing the foundation, we thought to ourselves, well, you know, if we can't do that after 20 years, then we're doing quite a bad job. And we took the, the call that 20 years is really a good period to establish research resources for both artists. And as you know so well, both Nancy Holt and Robert Smithson were so invested in time. So somehow it seemed right. And why 20 years? Well, it's exactly 100 years after both artists were born. They were born in 1938. And we plan to terminate in 2038. And the show, uh, uh, that, that's fascinating. And that, that, that kind of model of, of terminating, uh, that's, that's so interesting. And I'm glad we... We frame that. So the show that's happening in, in the context of the foundation is abstract cartography at Marianne Goodman, which seems so interesting to me because it's, it's this five-year period before he made the works that he became so well-known for, correct? Mm, that's, ex that's, that's exactly it. And one of the things that I think is so important to think about Robert Smithson is we know that he had a short life, a short period making art. He passed away in 1973. And of course, his best known works are his earthworks. So Spiral Jetty at Roselle Point on the Great Salt Lake in Utah, which was made in 1970, 
or Broken Circle Spiral Hill, made in 1971 in Emmen in the Netherlands. But he had a long period of thinking before that. And I think with Slyson, one of the reasons why he is such an artist and why his legacy is so strong is because he was just so erudite in his writing. And his writings really show him thinking through ideas. And we wanted, with this exhibition, which is our very first exhibition in Marion Goodman Gallery's New York space, we wanted to show where Smithson's, and I'm quoting him here, where his inklings of earthworks begun. And, and I really love this phrase, inklings of earthworks. He uses it in quite a few of his interviews and I'm very interested in trying to think about where did Smithson's ideas develop from and if we can trace the geology of his ideas it means that we can really think about what relevance do they have today how can we work with those ideas in the present yeah that's so interesting so and and, and the works in the exhibition um, let's talk about a little exactly what we're we're looking at because there's a number of, of different things in abstract cartography correct that's exactly right um so in 1966 Nissen um really started thinking about a project that was foundational for everything that, that followed and there's a really nice anecdote um and i like it so much because it underlines how one can be inspired and inspire others by talking in public. So in 1966, Smithson gave a talk um, at Yale about art and the city. And he was really interested at that stage in thinking about the expansion of cities following a similar pattern to the growth of crystals. Um, And in the audience at this talk, was a representative of an architecture firm who were working on a scheme for a new regional airport between Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, And the architect said to Smithson, look, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he must have said something like, I really love these ideas. Will you come and think with us? And Smithson describes that he invented a job for himself as an artist consultant And he thought with the architectural and engineering company about what an airport could be. And there were two key things that Smithson started to really chew over in this period. Firstly, what's an airport? Well, an airport is a kind of non-place. We've probably all spent more time in airports than we would, would choose to. What do you do in airports? Well, you sort of hang around, waiting to go somewhere else, to go to other places. And Smithson was interested in the airport being a fringe location, a periphery location. And he came up with this idea that I would have just loved to be realized, where he wanted to make a series of earthworks around the edges, around the limits of the airport, Um, And these would be live broadcast into a terminal museum onto TV screens. 
So this was 1966. Um, TV and live broadcast was really part of the new media of the time. So this sense of remote sites, peripheries, really became interesting for him. And then he started thinking about looking at our planet from the air. And this really started to charge his ideas about mapping. And mapping is partly fictional. And this is really where our title for the exhibition comes from. Smithson was interested in the ways in which maps, and remember this was 66, so unlike us now where we have our maps on our cell phones in our pockets, this was an era of analog maps. But maps are really abstractions. It's impossible for them to represent accurately, point by point, the surface of the Earth. And cartographers throw a grid across the Earth. But our planet is, of course, a globe. So there's an immediate abstraction of thinking. And at this period, Smithson was considering these inklings of earthworks, thinking about mapping, and also thinking about the importance of, well, not necessarily the importance, but perhaps asking the question, what happens if you start to distort perspective? If you think about crystalline growth, and then somehow tweak it. And so the exhibition will have um, a collection of maps that Smithson variously tore, folded, copied, distorted the scale, moved longitude and latitude. There'll be a group of sculptures that really show his thinking process around sculptures, some maquettes that relate to his ideas for buildings in the airport. We'll show some of his drawings uh, for the airport project and a series of sculptures. And then alongside these, we've got a small collection of works that look at his fascination, obsession even, with conceptual islands. And Smithson felt that our planet is an island in the ocean of the universe. And islands, these punctuation marks in the ocean, for him, could hold a world in themselves. Um, so you can probably tell right now that I'm very excited about this exhibition. It's really just this sense of sharing with people Smithson works and some works that have not been shown before as well. And which works haven't been shown before? The, the sculpture or, or, or also, the, I would imagine, the, the maps too, the islands, the, the potential mm. projects? Mm. It really runs through all of the exhibitions. So um, Nancy Holt and Robert Smithson, um, as I'm sure everyone knows, were, were married. They married in 1963. In fact, it's their wedding anniversary next Tuesday. Um, and after Smithson passed away in 1973, Nancy Holt looked after his estate until she passed in 2014. And she had a private collection of Smithson works. And they were private because they were personal to her, special to her. And perhaps more pragmatically, 
She always envisaged that there would be a foundation in the future. So these works that are now part of our collection, we want to make them public. We want to share them. Um, and some of these works fill in the gap between the works that we're more familiar with by Smithson. Others are very speculative, where you can see that he's testing ideas. And one of the things we often talk about um, among the team here at the Foundation is that during our lifetime, we want to find out as much as we can about Smithson. We want to learn from artists, from scholars, from Smithson obsessives, from Smithson skeptics, to try and gather information. And as we all know, the best way to learn about art is to look at it, think about it, see what question it, questions it raises. So my dream with this exhibition is that we're going to learn a lot that we don't know right now. And what seems fascinating to me is that it's very exciting. I can tell you're excited, and it is an exciting <laughs> exhibition. Um, you know, works that, were, that never came to fruition. It, it's recently, I've been looking at different architects. I, I read this book about Frank Lloyd Wright and, 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 you know, his fellowship and began looking at all these drawings of things that were never realized. And, and this has been spoken about before with artists and architects, these, these ideas that were never realized. And, and sometimes they, that form is, um, I don't want to say better or worse, but it's a valid mm -hmm. form for them to exist in, these unrealized projects, these unrealized let's say, homes, houses, buildings of Frank Lloyd Wright, but we're talking also about unrealized projects of Smithson, like the airport one you mentioned in that, in that mm -hmm. wonderful anecdote. But there's other projects, it sounds like, as well, that, um, that you know, you talked about him as an artist-artist, which, which is so true. I know so many artists that, um, that love Robert Smithson. What seems particularly fascinating to me, and I would think other, other artists and viewers as well, is is this thinking process, this inkling, as you said or he said, mm. of projects that have not been made, right? Is, mm. Does that feature prominently as well as the, um, the airport, uh, you know, project that wasn't completed? Because that seems also fascinating to me as a way to get an insight into, into just how he's thinking and the, and the most conceptual and, and, you know, to use not the best word, the most purest level. You know, this is just mm. the idea in its, in its raw mm. form. I, I really agree. I think unrealized projects are incredibly instructive and interesting because you can see developments of thought. One of the things that I really feel in the marrow of my bones is so important with art is that art produces knowledge. How do we produce knowledge? Well, we pose questions. We're not afraid of failing. We put ideas out in the world to see what happens with them. Um, and I think with Smithson, I mean, this, this period that the exhibition studies, which starts in, in 1966 and yeah, runs through for the, the following five years, it really was a moment where Smithson was trying things out. It's where he was thinking about what would happen if there was an artist in every single industrial institution. What would happen? And of course, your musings on unrealized projects raises a big question. Should an architect or an artist's unrealized projects be made 
tangible? Should they be realized after the artist or architect is around? And in all truth, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, so often artists and arch- architects, they're, they're thinking through ideas and it's the potential that really holds the power. So sometimes it's the potential of an idea that really drives the questions, the production of knowledge, rather the thing, rather than the thing itself. So I think we have to be really cautious. So, I mean, I guess, okay, let me ask a, a big rhetorical question. The scheme that Smithson was working on for the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, it didn't come to fruition. A different architect was chosen. Um, I'm talking to you from Santa Fe, New Mexico, where the foundation's offices are. And I travel a lot through the current Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And whenever my plane takes off or, off or lands, I always look to the edges of the airport and fantasize about Smithson's earthworks on the edges. Do they need to be realized? Maybe not. Maybe the, the power is there. And I think we always have to remember with unrealized projects, whether it's paper architecture, so um, an unrealized home, an unrealized building, an impossible building or an artwork, the materiality of the drawing, the photograph, the collage, the description, that's an artwork too. So it's that sense of speculative thought, potential for the future. There's so much there. So it's a long way of responding to, to your question. Um, no, I, I, I love that you responded that way. That's, that, that, that's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. And, um, you know, the, the one reaction I have to that is that, yeah, that's so true. You go into the airport and you, it's almost like his work is there. You, you, you imagine it, you see it in a, in a, in a very beautiful form in your head. You know, it, it, it also reminds me that um, it, there could even be um, uh, an exhibition that talks about what could have been. Like, for mm. example, there was a, there's a parking lot not far from where I am in New Haven, and it's called mm. the Ghost Parking Lot. It's in Hamden, a very kind of, huh. it's kind of strip mall kind of place. It was, it was done by an artist named James Wines in 78, where mm-hmm. he poured asphalt over several cars that were parked, you know. So these are kind of amazing-looking sort of black ghosts of cars. But in, in, I don't know when it was, several years ago, the whole thing was ripped up. It was becoming a mess, and the whole thing was ripped up. It's, it's kind of an odd little strip mall that also has like a George Rickey sculpture in it, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But what, what fascinates me about it is it was a beautiful project, and then on the wall, of a, on the outside of something like a Walmart, is um, the whole description of the project and how it came to fruition and is gone. So we no longer see it. It's not there. But to me, it's, it's, as you're describing the airport, it seems just as fantastic. You know, it was a gorgeous project, and even though it's not there, it almost still lives in, in a way in this kind of um, imaginary form. Mm, mm. That sounds great. I want to visit, and I'm going to get those coordinates of this parking lot. I'll tell you more about it. So, so the <laughs> other question is... Um, uh, you've, you've done a lot of research, obviously. This is a great presentation. 
not from just your position there, but for Robert Smithson, in all your pouring over all this material, you've been through the whole show. Is there something that sticks out to you that that, that haunts you that that, that 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 you seem to be particularly excited about or interested in? I mean, I would imagine there's a number of revelations from this show when you're diving into this such a specific time in his life when he's thinking. Is there is there anything that that is uh, I don't I don't want to say most important, but just that that is nagging that that stays with you. There are so many things that are going around my brain, and the the one that's jumped to my mind is something that that word nagging it's really nagging around the edges of my brain because i don't know the answer to it so when smithson was working with maps he was really interested in fragmenting them and altering them so there's a series of maybe huh, let me think seven or eight different works that we have in this exhibition where smithson took a map so an analog map either drew on it or cut it or folded it. And then he made a photostat of it, of a different size. And then he made another negative copy of that. So what we don't know, because we can't ask him, is what is the work? So, again, it's really thinking about his time of making, the late 1960s, when photocopy machines that are kind of obsolete now, but that was part of business technology, um, a new business technology. So, is the work the map that Smithson drew on directly? Maybe it's got the artist's hand on it, but then subsequently, he copied it. And we know that Smithson was really interested in distribution of information, in documentation. And then he made a negative of it. So is the work all of these parts, or is the work actually the end result, the negative of the copy of the drawing? It's impossible to know. And I'm really moving my brain and trying to read everything that Smithson has ever written and ever said to try and establish what the limits are. And I think this is the thing with Smithson. He really blurred every boundary, every assumption that we thought we had when it came to communicating knowledge. So this is something that, if I'm truthful, keeps me awake at night because I'm just so curious and hungry to try and find the answer. And, and I'm hoping that by laying out these questions, people coming to see the exhibition can try and think with us and try and consider what are the limits. And maybe that's the very question that Smithson was always so interested in asking. What are the limits of the range? What is the edge of the horizon. Thank you, Lisa. That's such a nice way to uh, to conclude. I, I want to ask you one more question. And of course, for listeners, there's links here to see the show. And I hope you rush to go see it. Um, all who's listening, and um, what are you reading at the moment? That's always my last question. Ah, that's a question that I always like asking people. I'm reading a whole bunch of stuff. Like everyone, I have a 
pile, mountain, maybe of books. But where I'm sitting now at my desk, there is a book in front of me, um, which is a book written in 1955 by Rachel Carson called The Edge of the Sea. So Rachel Carson is best known for her book Silent Spring. And prior to that, she wrote a series of three books about the coast of Maine. Um, And she was really interested in the ways in which the edge of the sea is always changing. It's where we can see glaciers melting, rainfall drying. And the reason why I'm reading this book that I have read many times before, and I think I love it more every time I, I read it, is we're planning at the foundation a trip to Maine to an island called Little Fort Island in three weeks' time um, because we're working with five artists um, to think with us about this island. And this is an island that Nancy Holt and Robert Smithson purchased sight unseen in 1971. And what I really love is that Smithson wanted to make a work on the island, but when he went there, he said it was too picturesque, and he decided not to make a work. So what we're doing at the foundation is we want to think with, learn from five incredible artists to ask questions. How can this island be used as a place for departure? Lisa, I want to thank you so much for your time today with this talk, and uh, congratulations on the show. I, I, I wish you well with your work with the Foundation. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.